0: tonight is study number 19 of Revelation chapter 14. And we're reading Revelation 14 verses 9 and 10. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, as we're moving along into this chapter of Revelation 14, God has been progressing in his salvation program and in his judgment program. We saw that the chapter began with 144,000 saved out of the church age, the first fruits unto God. Then there was, um, a, another angel declaring with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment is come or has came. And, and that is the hour that points to the great tribulation. And following this comes the next stage in Revelation 14 verse 8 that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And that's the end of the great tribulation, the end of the hour, and the time when God turns his attention to the kingdom of Satan and to Satan himself. And as God has allowed Satan to, first of all, ascend out of the bottomless pit, spiritually speaking, as he was bound not literally but for god's purposes he was bound at the cross and and he uh was sealed up shut up in a bottomless pit for a figurative thousand year period which was the entire church age and then loosed to come against the new testament churches and congregations to be a means for god to pour out the cup of his wrath against the church. And God abandoned the congregation, removed his hand of restraint from the churches. that He no longer was holding Satan back, but he allowed him to come in, not only to come in, but to take his seat as the man of sin, to rule within the church world, showing himself that he was God and And the churches that were always lusting to some degree after the things of the world and and this was um the reason for their high places now uh there would be no restraint; they could go after their lusts and drink the cup that God had prepared in the hands of Babylon to give to them. And, and they drank the cup of the wine of her fornication. And, and that was the cup of the wrath of God. And, and uh, as the church now was free without restraint to go after the sins that it had long desired to go after, well, this resulted in its utter destruction. And yet it was also God's plan that it only for the little season of the Great Tribulation to allow Satan to uh, be his servant and, and to deliver the cup of wrath to the church. And, and at the conclusion of the 23-year Great Tribulation period, the Lord turned his attention entirely to Satan and his kingdom and every unsaved person within. And now it was their turn. And that's why God says in Revelation 18, the cup that she has filled, filled to her double. And it's the cup of his wrath. Now, uh, in verse 9 of uh, chapter 14, it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice. Now, before we move on, there is one interesting thing here. God is numbering the angel. It's the third angel. And that would indicate, of course, three would, uh, indicate the purpose of God. That's one reason he did it. But he also wants us to know that when we see these angels appear, that, uh, we should count them. And, and when we go back earlier in Revelation 14 verse six is uh, when we read of the first angel. And it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach. That's the first angel mentioned. And then in verse 8, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's the second. And now in verse 9, And the third angel followed them. And that means that God has numbered these angels. Now the there will be an angel that appears in uh, verse 15, another angel, in verse 17, another angel, and in verse 18, another angel. So we, we should uh, consider verse four, 15 to be the fourth, verse 17, the fifth, and verse 18, the sixth angel, since God has said this is the third angel. And each number would have corresponding spiritual meaning. Well, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, and again, this is not done secretly, quietly, in a corner somewhere, very publicly. God revealed the end of the church age. He revealed the coming judgment on the world, May twenty-one, twenty-eleven, in a very public manner. And it says uh here in the middle of verse nine, if any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now that language is familiar to us because we read it in the previous chapter in Revelation thirteen, when uh, we were reading of the image of the beast, it says in Revelation thirteen verse fourteen And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. And uh, at another place, Earlier in chapter 13 in verse 8, it says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb. And that's referring to the beast. And, and, and so here when God says, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Now the mark, it's not a literal mark. Some people get all carried away, and and they, uh, through uh, misunderstanding that Christ spoke in parables, uh, they take the Bible literally, and and yet they pick and choose. When they take the Bible literally, they don't think a beast is going to literally come up out of the sea, but when they read of the mark of the beast, well, that's too uh, alluring to them to pass up and they come up with all sorts of elaborate scenarios it's so security number or we're going to get some sort of tattoo in our wrist you hear all kinds of crazy things it's none of that it it's not a literal physical mark at all it's a spiritual mark and uh, it's significant that the mark is in the forehead where the mind resides and in The hand, the hand in the Bible points to the will of the individual. And so the mark has to do with the mind or soul and the will of the man that has been given over to Satan because that, that person is unsaved and so in their uh, complete being they serve Satan. Now they of course don't Think that, uh, consciously. They're, they're not aware of that consciously. Uh, they are serving sin. They're aware of that. They're aware that their desire is to seek after money. Their desire is to satisfy lust. Yes, they're aware of those things, but they don't realize that sin is not doing service to God, but when we obey sin, the lie, were, in a sense, serving Satan. And that's why the Bible speaks of being taking, taken captive by him at his will. It, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when he deceived Eve into eating of the fruit of the forbidden tree, and in her act of sin, she believed the lie by the father of lies, Satan... And did not believe God, who always speaks the truth. And so, the um, unsafe people of the world who serve sin and Satan, they are the ones that are in view. And once we entered into the day of judgment, and judgment day began, once again, we, we... uh, keep repeating it because the Bible keeps referring to judgment and judgment day and, and that's the day that the Bible reveals that judgment began. May 21, 2011 was the beginning of judgment day, the day God shut the door of heaven and the day that He sealed the eternal fate of every individual. All the saved are saved still. They cannot lose their salvation. All the unsaved remain unsaved still. They cannot obtain salvation. Everyone has returned to their own land and their own kingdom. Spiritually speaking, God's people in the kingdom of heaven and all the rest, the kingdom of darkness or Babylon, the kingdom of Satan. And and each one of them, um, I'm sorry to say that Uh, That number is in the billions of people that are living on the earth. Will, as it says in verse 10 of Revelation 14, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. The wine of the wrath of God is poured into a cup and what are you to do with that cup? You are to drink it. When, when we see that figure, that's why God speaks of a cup. A cup is a vessel that, uh, you can drink out of. And this is the measure of the wrath of God that, that has come as a result of the sinner's sins. And, and so God pours out the demands of his law in order that the law be satisfied into a cup, and here you are, you must drink. That's why we read when the Lord Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was in an agony, and great drops of sweat as blood dropped from him, because he was demonstrating the things that he had done, the atoning work that he performed from the foundation of the world. But not only that, God was actively pouring out his wrath a second time upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Although no payment was being made for sin, there was actual, genuine, terrible suffering going on as Christ suffered to make manifest those things that he had already done. And, and so in that um, agony of being under the wrath of God, Jesus went and prayed, Father, may this cup pass from me. And, and then, uh, nevertheless, he would say, not my will, but thine will be done. And it was such a terrible agony that he went a second time and he went a third time. The third time to indicate the purpose of God concerning his wrath and and the will of God as and that's exactly what Jesus prayed each time not my will but thine be done that it was the determinate counsel and will of God that Jesus drink of the wine of the wrath of God to demonstrate at that point that all the sins of all the elect were um, perfectly paid for the laws demands for justice were were satisfied from the foundation of the world and and so Jesus showed that forth he revealed that as as he uh once again drank of the cup and and it also tells us that cup is spiritual because he didn't have an actual cup in the garden of gethsemane he was just in that that pain uh as as he was an object a target of God's wrath and it was all in the spiritual realm. So it was a spiritual judgment upon Christ. No literal cup, no literal sword uh, smiting him. No thunderbolts literally falling from heaven. If you would have looked at him, you would have seen the man, God, Christ Jesus, and and no one else. And yet the great drops of sweat as blood falling from him and he was in awful pain, suffering, in order to make this demonstration. And and so there's another example of a spiritual judgment concerning the cup of the wrath of God. Now, when we go to the Old Testament, we read in Psalm 11, where God speaks of uh, the cup. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. Psalm 11, verse 4. Jehovah is in His holy temple. Jehovah's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. Jehovah trieth the righteous. But the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Now, just notice... That in this context, and you'll see the context when I read, when I read the next verse, that God is speaking of trying the righteous. And what's interesting is that here we are living on the earth in the day of judgment, God's elect are still here present in the world, and God is punishing the wicked, and yet at the same time the Bible indicates he's trying the righteous and in this little psalm it's only 7 verses long god uh, he he tells us that he tries the righteous and and basically in the same breath in the same context look at verse 6 upon the wicked he shall rain snares fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest this shall be the portion of their cup so we we have the cup of wrath of God and the wicked, um, their portion is fire and brimstone and so forth. But But joined together with it is this idea of trying the righteous. And it fits perfectly with what we've seen in many other places now in the Bible, that the Lord's people are present. And they go through the judgment. They stand or appear, as 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. And that word appear is, or are made manifest, before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today, in, in the world before God's judgment seat, as he is actively judging all the unsafe people of the world, and in a sense, in a tableau or in a demonstration, um, just as Christ died for sin from the foundation of the world and, and paid for it then, yet he entered into the world a second time, suffered, but did not make any payment in 33 AD to reveal what he had done. Well, God's people were in Christ from the foundation of the world as he paid for their sin. And and God counts that and reckons that and um, imputes that to his people. Our sins are paid for then. But here we are, before the judgment seat of Christ, not to make payment, but to make manifest that our sins were paid in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ long ago at the point of the world's foundation. We will go through the fire coming out the other end as gold and silver purified, tried, and perfected, and God will get all the glory and, and it will be evidence that yes, their sins were paid for, there was no sin upon them that they were bearing or else they would have been burned up as the chaff, they would have been destroyed over the course of this prolonged period of judgment and then finally that last day, they would have been annihilated like all the rest of the wicked but they were not and and so um, there is a very definite reason for the Lord to leave his elect in the world to go through this period of time. It it accomplishes the trial of the righteous. Well, notice also in Psalm 11.6, it says, Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone. Now, we've talked about this before, but this teaches us the spiritual characteristic of Judgment Day, the spiritual characteristic of fire and brimstone. Because God joins with it, snares. It, there is no way. I don't know any theologian or commentator who has uh, thought that uh, in the time of the wrath of God and the day of judgment, God will rain down snares with fire and brimstone. They they might take the fire and brimstone and say that's going to be literal, but uh, obviously they would not think that snares or traps would would rain down from heaven yet god joins them together with fire and brimstone and if snares are not literal neither is the fire and brimstone and and this is the portion of their cup so when we read in revelation 14:10 the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of god which is poured out without mixture ...into the cup of his indignation... ...and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone... ...in the presence of the holy angels or messengers... ...and in the presence of the Lamb... ...we, we have biblical justification... ...to understand the fire and brimstone spiritually. Spiritually. When, when God shuts the door of heaven... ...when he puts out the light of the gospel... When he ends his salvation program, spiritually, he is pouring out fire and brimstone. There is no literal fire, no literal brimstone. No one is literally burning up. But these things are are the evidence of God's anger and his fury. And fire and brimstone expresses the terrible fierceness of God's anger towards sin and he is giving the cup of wrath and pouring out fire and brimstone towards the sinner and that is revealed when he shut the door of heaven and sealed their eternal fate and guaranteed that they would die in their sins